0: Good morning. My name is Stephen. I'm one of the pastors here. Really happy that you're here with us today. So this morning I want to talk about justice. In recent weeks, several videos have come out that have gone viral, that have highlighted the realities of injustice in our communities, in our country. And I think that we as followers of Jesus need to deal with these. We need to talk about the issues that we're seeing highlighted Uh, in videos, uh, in injustices throughout our country, not just through COVID-19, but also in uh, in addition to COVID-19. And so that's what I want to talk about this morning. And so uh, I just want to say that I go into this with a mix of humility, of mercy, and with a cry of lament saying, where are you in the midst of this, God? What is it that you're up to in our time in our world uh, in the midst of these injustices and that's my attitude this morning and I pray that that will be what comes through uh, humility and I hope for all of us that we'll walk away from this morning with a deeper sense of hope knowing that we serve that we've been saved by a really good God who cares deeply for all people in all situations so let's talk on February 23rd, there was a 25-year-old man who went, through a run, went for a run through his small town. And as he was running through his town, just a morning jog, he uh, ran by this house where two men grabbed guns, jumped into their pickup truck, and followed after him. They ended up barricading him at the end of a street, blocking him off from being able to pass, and holding their, pointing their guns at him. When he tried to run around, they jumped down from the truck bed, blocked him, and what ended up happening was that he was shot and he died that day on the street. Ahmad Arbery was guilty of no crime. He wasn't even in connection to a crime, as if that would be justification for this, which it wouldn't be. But there was nothing about this man to, to lead to this happening to him except for the fact that he was a black man running in his town, and some people didn't like that. And so he died that day. The amazing thing, the brutal thing, the heartbreaking thing that makes us cry out for injustice above and beyond that is that all of this was taken down on camera. It was all recorded from that very moment, and yet it took 74 days for the men who were shown on camera to have done this to be arrested in connection to this crime. 74 days leaves us crying out saying, where is the justice? Where are you, God, in the midst of this situation? James Cone is an African-American theologian, and he wrote this. The Christian gospel is more than a transcendent reality, more than going to heaven when I die to shout salvation as I fly. It's also an imminent reality, a powerful, liberating presence. The gospel is found wherever poor people struggle for justice, fighting for their right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. The gospel that James Cone writes about right here is the same gospel that we celebrate every Sunday when we come together, the same good news about Jesus. It's the good news that Jesus came to live, to suffer, to die, and then to come back from the dead to rise again so that you and I could know him so that we could be in a relationship with him it's the same good news that the actions of jesus have brought freedom to all people that they've brought justice into our world in a real tangible sense it's the same good news that heaven the, the very kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven that Jesus preaches about over and over and over again throughout the gospel. So was the center of his message that he gave while on earth. That heaven hasn't just become a thing for when we die, but that heaven has actually broken into earth here and now. The gospel, the good news of Jesus, is not just good news for when we die but it's good news for now, for while we are still alive, still on this earth. But when we see the video footage of men and women like Ahmad Arbery dying, when we hear stories of African Americans who have been who've died alongside of Ahmad uh, before him, and we pray that it won't be after but we know that injustice still is in this earth. It makes us cry out and say, God, where are you in the midst of injustice? And that's what I want to talk about this morning. Where is the God of justice now? Will you pray with me? Jesus, we just thank you that you came, that you lived, that you suffered, that you died, so that freedom could be brought, so that oppression could be lifted, so that justice could be a reality in our earth. And so we cry out for that now. I pray that this morning that we will walk away with a deeper sense of your heart for injustice, of the way that your heart breaks at the sight of injustice, and with a deeper awareness of what it is that you are calling us to live out as your followers. We just ask for your kingdom to come, your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have a Bible, open it up to Luke eighteen two through 8 with me, and listen to this story that Jesus tells. There is a judge in a certain city who neither feared God nor cared about people, and a widow came to him repeatedly saying, give me justice in this dispute with my enemy. And the judge ignored her for a while, but then he said, I don't fear God or care about people, but this woman's driving me crazy. I'm going to see that she gets justice because she's wearing me out with her constant requests. Then the Lord said, learn a lesson from this unjust judge. Even he rendered a just decision in the end. So don't you think that God will surely give justice to his people who cry out to him day and night. Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will grant justice to them quickly. But when the Son of Man returns, how many will he find on earth who have faith? Let's talk about this story for a couple minutes. There's three central characters, so to speak, in this story. There's the widow, the judge, and the justice of God. The widow would have been probably a young woman. Close to my age, most men in Jesus' time only lived until their 30s. And so she was probably, by our standards, a fairly young woman. But she was among the most vulnerable people in her entire society, in her entire town or or village or city, wherever she lived. She would have been among the most vulnerable because she was left uh, at the the call of, of anyone who would be generous to her. In her society, she wouldn't have been left with very much financially. So it was up to her family or, or charitable people in her community to take care of her. That's what she would have been left with. And we don't know anything about this woman, do we? We, we don't know if she was wise with her money. We don't know how she spent her money, if she spent it on the things that we think she should have spent her small amount of money on. We don't know if she was respected, if she was a respectable woman, or if she was not a respectable woman. We don't know anything about her except for two important things. We know that she was vulnerable, and we know that she asked for justice. And friends, that is what matters. That's what Jesus tells us, or that those two things are what counts, vulnerable and asking for justice so many times we put so many other labels and qualifications on who can get justice but you know what jesus looks at are they asking for it and do they need it that's what he is worried about that's what matters to him Oh, and there's this other thing. She's super annoying, right? She's a very annoying person. She's at his courtroom every day begging for this. She follows him in the streets yelling after him. Uh, She's there at the restaurant when he's trying to have dinner uh, with some friends, some other lawyers and judges from the town. Uh, She follows him home. She finds out where he lives, and it says that she's banging essentially on his door all the time to get his attention, saying uh, that she's... She wants justice. She's super annoying, and the judge doesn't really care, right? The judge is not a good dude. He's, he's not a good judge. He's not just, but he's tired of being annoyed all the time, and it's her annoyance, her persistence that leads to getting justice. That's where all of this leads to is her getting justice because she didn't stop. Justice is repeated four times in this short story. Biblical definition of justice is this, vindication, retribution, vengeance, or punishment. And in this story, the obvious uh, definition of it is vindication. Vindication is a uh, legal term, meaning to clear somebody's name, to wipe the slate clean. And in essence, when we read this story, what Jesus is telling us is that this woman hasn't just been given justice, but that the whole script has been flipped. And instead of her having to beg for her justice, the person who is oppressing her, who is bringing something against her, has to prove that they haven't been oppressive, has to prove that they haven't been unjust in her direction. Justice has been uh, so powerful that it's wiped everything clean in her life. The words for justice are used over 400 times in the Bible. It's kind of an astonishing amount of times. Justice matters a lot to God. A lot. Just listen to some of these verses about what justice looks like to the heart of God. Deuteronomy 10.18 says that justice is a promise that God will move. He ensures that orphans and widows receive justice. He shows love to the foreigners and gives them food and clothing. Psalm one hundred three six says that justice is equally given to all. The Lord gives righteousness and justice to all who are treated unfairly. Psalm one forty six seven says that justice is action oriented. He gives justice to the oppressed and food to the hungry. The Lord frees the prisoners. And in Psalm. Ten, seventeen through 18, the justice of God brings relief from systems of oppression. Lord, you know the hopes of the helpless. Surely you will hear their cries and comfort them. You will bring justice so people can no longer terrify them. Just in these short verses, we've learned that justice is a promise that God's going to do something, that it's given to all who ask for it, that it's action-oriented, and that it brings relief from systems of oppression. This should be really good news to us in light of injustices that we see today in our world. You know, COVID-19 has highlighted the injustice and inequality of our systems In our country, Sarah, one of our pastors, recently had a conversation with Carrington Moore, a pastor in Boston, and they talked about this about COVID 19, race, the poor, justice, and where God is in the midst of it. Let's tune in and hear what they have to say.
1: Uh, I have uh, my friend Carrington Moore, who I think we have known each other for over a decade. Carrington, is that right? This is very true. This is very true, Sarah. He is the Lily's Fellow Program Director, um, working uh, training uh, bivocational pastors, and he also serves as an associate pastor at Bethel African American Methodist Episcopal Church. And he's the associate pastor for uh, youth and families, focusing on youth and families' spiritual formation. Can you talk a little bit about like what's uh, the church is calling to? Um, you know, stand up for uh, these issues? Um, And what's the church really being called to lean into? What's Jesus inviting us to lean into um, in terms of advocacy? So we have, I think, one of the greatest Americans, uh, uh, Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr., who really helps uh, us influence or think critically about our theology again in terms of how we're thinking about racism. And I only bring up Dr. King because he says something that's really powerful in terms of what justice looks like. And this is a great quote that he says. He said, I've seen uh, the power of God transforming the fatigue of despair into the buoyancy of hope. I am am convinced that in the struggle of righteousness, the universe continually bends towards justice. And I think that's what we need to think about in terms of how should our our public policy, how should the things that we're doing in, in regards to how we're treating people with the coronavirus, how should we do it in a way that bends towards justice and so we think about one of the policy issues that's going on right now is that uh many ways when the coronavirus uh, COVID-19 first started, people weren't sure if they would be covered, um, if they contracted the coronavirus, or even uh, uh, even more so, if they didn't have it, they'd be charged uh, to go to the emergency room uh, in many ways to get tested. So you saw people initially being charged thirty, forty, fifty thousand $50,000 just to go get tested for the COVID-19 virus, in many ways walking away, being thankful to God that they didn't have it, but then getting a hospital bill. So I think in many ways we see the people who don't have healthcare, people that don't have uh, access to quality hospitals, or persons that live in black and brown communities. Um, and so I think that's the first thing we need to think about, is um, how we're thinking about public policy that prevents those who need the treatment up the most from not getting it. That's the one I said. in. The other part uh, that we think about the coronavirus is uh, the history of having resources and the lack of resources in the current moment. And so uh, one of the things that's a, a interesting stat that's really important, that black uh, people are worth $8 in Boston. African-Americans are worth $200 in L.A., $11 in Miami, I think $54 in Atlanta. And so basically, if you lose your job, if you get furloughed, uh, if you lose any type of income, and most African-Americans, most people of color, they are participating in the gig economy, which in many ways doesn't give you the type of stability and the type of resources and the type of um, uh, the types of perks that, uh, uh, you know, uh, like a 401k, all, you know, sick time, all those things that uh, most uh, white Americans have access to. When you think about people participating in that type of economy, if they lose their job, if they get furloughed, or even they're moved to part-time, they can't make it. And so you're talking about, it's good that we need to stay at home, right? Um, in many ways, the countries like, uh, even countries like Italy and, and Hungary and different countries in the Caribbean, where they've told their people to stay at home, they also ensured that you're not going to have any mortgage payments for the next three or four months. You're not going to have any rent for the next three or four months. We're going to make sure that you have a couple thousand dollars in your pocket every month so that you can have food and groceries. Say, hey, it's important that we shelter in place. It's important that we do everything that we need to be safe, but you need to make sure that people have what they need um, in order to stay at home because people are literally having to choose between driving Uber, right, um, and staying at home. Uh, people are choosing to, to go back to work as a grocery clerk or staying at home. And then even on top of that, the interesting thing is, is most – I can keep going on. Tell me to stop, Sarah, because I'll go on and on about this. The interesting thing is the people, right, who, who have been said that don't deserve a, a living wage job these are mostly people who are black and brown, who have been Amazon workers, uh, working as Uber drivers, working in our grocery stores. They're the very people who are keeping us afloat. Like, just imagine if you didn't have your, your Uber Eats or your Amazon Prime, or you weren't able to go to the grocery store and get good food because the people didn't stock those shelves. The very people who are saving us are the very people that we've deemed unqualified to have basic necessities uh, to live. And I think that's wrong. Again, Jesus says, I've come to give you life and that life more abundantly. That is not the be we're asking people to go to work, risk their lives, don't even hazard pay, oh, don't even have. Um, if we went back to the good old days before uh, COVID nineteen, and the good old days for most white people was a good time. You had access to a good job, you had access to resources, you had access to a 401k, things were good for you. Right now, you might be losing a little bit of money in your pension, but that's all right because you'll bounce back. But for many black people who've been laid off, many brown people, um, uh, for many uh, of our persons who are uh, immigrant cultures, uh, for them, uh, this has been abysmal. Uh, And being not necessarily sure how they're going to bounce back. And so uh, I think we have to think about uh, some of the institutional structures that have existed uh, that have kept uh, persons being able to uh, survive and have the life in the first place. So right now what the church is called to do, it's called to do what it's, it's, it's always been called to do. It's to fight for love and to fight for justice. Um, So COVID-19 doesn't change that calling. I think, if anything, I think it helps us uh, uh, look at the deeper inequities that have always existed and and is calling upon us to do our best, to to, uh, practice advocacy, uh, not to do charity, because charity doesn't change structures, but to do justice. That's what God has called us to do.
0: Thanks, Carrington and Sarah. Now I want to cry out for justice in response to this. Jesus said, will God give justice to his people who cry out to him? He will grant justice to them quickly. We need to cry out for freedom, from, for justice and realities that we see around us, especially in a time like the one that we're living in. And so I invite you to join me in crying out for God to move in the face of this injustice. I'm crying out to Jesus for him to bring justice for people of color because the stats are heartbreaking when you hear them. In New York City, black people are twice as likely to die from COVID-19 as white people. In Louisiana, one-third of the population is black, and yet 70% of all COVID-19 deaths are black people. In Illinois, 15% of the population is black, and yet they account for 43% of the deaths due to COVID 19. In the face of this data that shows obvious injustice, we have no choice but to cry out and say, Lord, have mercy. And if all of that seems too far away from home, in Boston, Black and Latino and Hispanic residents make up about 40% of the population, and yet they account for over 60% of the COVID-19 cases in the city. And so we say, Lord, have mercy. I'm crying out for justice for the elderly and the vulnerable Because in Massachusetts, 16,000 COVID-19 cases have happened amongst people who live or work in nursing homes, resulting in over 4,900 deaths, which accounts for 59% of this most recent data, 59% of all the deaths related to COVID-19 in our state. Nationally, 35% of the deaths in our country are people who live or work in nursing homes. And in response to this, we just cry out and we say, Lord, have mercy. I'm crying out for the poor. Because due to the global nature of this disease, the estimate of how many people will be living in extreme poverty, which is a ridiculous term that I wish never had to be used, but it basically means people who have no chance of making it, has risen, their estimate, by 50 million people over the past couple of months to 690 million people throughout our world who are living in extreme poverty And over 400 to 600 million more people are going to be living in regular poverty because of this disease. In the face of that suffering and helplessness, we just cry out and we say, Lord, have mercy. In Boston, one out of three homeless people have contracted this disease. A shelter in Worcester did recent tests, and 43% of the homeless people who were there have contracted this disease. Vulnerable people who stand very little hope with such a powerful disease. And so for them, we cry out and we say, Lord, have mercy. In the face of such heartbreak, pain, and injustice, what is it that we can do? Well, I think there's three things that Jesus is asking us to do. Here's the first. We need to speak the truth about injustice. We need to stop remaining silent about it. We need to call it out for what it is. Psalm 40 verse 9 says, "I have told all about your justice. I have not been afraid to speak out as you, O Lord, well know." The second is this. We need to ask why, and then we need to start acting. Stop pretending like it's not happening. Stop ignoring it. Don't just accept things as the way that it is, but begin to ask why. Figure out how change can come about, and then start to move. Join with others who are doing things to defeat injustice in our culture, in our country. Do something. Isaiah 117 says this, learn to do good, seek justice, help the oppressed, defend the cause of orphans, fight for the rights of widows. Help, defend, fight, move, do something. And third, we need to ask Jesus for justice and we need to keep looking at the cross. The message paraphrases the end of this story this way. What makes you think God won't step in and work justice for his chosen people who continue to cry out for help? Won't he stick up for them? I assure you he will. He will not drag his feet. Friends, the good news is that justice has come and that it will come. Justice has come, and the life, the suffering, and the death of Jesus. It has come because our Savior has brought freedom, our Savior who knows intimately what injustice and oppression looks like, our Savior who was whipped until the point of death, our Savior who was spit at, our Savior who was cussed at, our Savior who was hung on a tree until he died. And if that wasn't enough, they had to stick a spear in his side to make sure that he was officially dead. That Savior is the one who has brought justice into our our world. He doesn't have to wonder what it looks like for injustice to be a real thing. He knows all too intimately and all too personally what oppression and injustice looks like. Injustice will come Because we're told that when Jesus returns at the end, once and for all, injustice will be wiped away. Suffering won't be no more. Pain will be taken away. Sin will be broken. Death will not have its power. And in that day, all tears will be wiped away because he has come and he has brought complete and total restoration to our world. Justice has come and it will come And that is our good news. Who is justice given to, though? Friends, it's given to those who ask. It's given to those who are cried out for. That's the only requirement. There will be justice for all who have been oppressed. That is hope that we need to cling to desperately. And in response to Jesus' question at the end of this story, will there be faith when he returns? I hope that you join with me in standing and saying, yes, there will be. And until Jesus returns, we will keep doing the very thing that he's called us to do. We will keep knocking and we won't stop until he comes back. There's a group of black vineyard pastors who recently penned a a paper in response to Uh, the murder of Ahmaud Arbery. And I think it speaks beautifully and yet painfully to the realities of injustice, and I want to read some of it to you. God does not look away from the pain and affliction of his people, and neither do we. This is how our Christ meets us. This is the good news. He stands with us, sits with us, hears our pain, feels our anger, stirs us from numbness, delivers us from evil, and gives us a living hope. Not a hope that erases the suffering of his cross, nor hope that erases the suffering of the crosses we've been forced to bear, but rather hope for a new normal that finally will look different through the power and resurrection and renewal. A new normal of justice, of dignity, and of love. At the beginning, I asked the question, where is the God of justice now? And friends, this is the good news. He's here. We don't have to go searching for him. We know where he's at. He is here with us. In a couple of minutes, we're going to take communion. And as we take it, we're taking it today because it's our response to injustice by clinging to the cross When we take of the juice, we remember his blood, which was poured out to once and for all break the power of injustice and oppression over our world. When we take of the bread, we take of his body, which was broken sacramentally, incarnationally. He has given of himself so that those who are dealing with oppression, who are dealing with with injustice, can know that there is a Savior who died for them, who gave up everything for them, who knows what it looks like to live that out in their bodies. We take it remembering, and we take it asking for justice to come. We're loved by Jesus, a Savior who knows who knows suffering and yet has come to bring an answer. And he is bringing justice. Friends, he promised it. He's not going to drag his feet. He will come. Amen.